Yes, we do, and yes, he is. Amen. Good morning, Bayleaf Baptist Church. How you doing? Hope you're doing pretty well after that. If you weren't awake, it's better than coffee. It's good stuff. Let's pray together as we prepare to worship the Lord through the preaching, hearing, and receiving of his word. Father, it is a joy to be with your people and be reminded of these truths of our faith, realities of the gospel that you have revealed to us and allowed us to believe. Thank you, Father, for the faith that you have given to us and the faith that you have entrusted to us and that we have gathered to proclaim and have further imprinted in our heart today as we worship Jesus. And Father, now as we turn to worshiping you through the preaching, the hearing, and receiving of your word, it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit would come and he would do his illuminating work in us, that he would open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to the reality of who you are revealing yourself to be through your word and who you are calling us to be in light of the image of Jesus Christ so that we can glorify you in greater ways, which is our desire. And Father, it's my prayer as always that in this moment of preaching that you would increase and I would decrease. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to the country of Brazil on an exploratory mission trip. I had never been to Brazil, but our church in Houston desired and felt led to engage in missions ministry there in that country. And so I went with some friends and was immediately blown away by the beauty of the country and the warmth of the people. There's so much to enjoy in that country, but also profound gospel need. We had the opportunity to travel to three different cities, Rio de Janeiro, then to Sao Paulo, which is the biggest city I've ever stepped foot in in my life, and then finally to the south in Porto Alegre. And as I was visiting with the IMB missionaries, they were able to articulate and help me understand in greater ways the, the gospel need of this country. While the vast majority of Brazilians would consider themselves Catholic, the, the nature of much of their Catholic faith with, was far different than anything I had experienced. And I grew up in Louisiana and was exposed to a lot of Catholic faith. But this Catholic faith was very different. Because in 1500, when the Portuguese came and conquered Brazil, they forced Catholicism upon the people of Brazil as part of their colonization efforts. And what inevitably happened was a new sort of religion formed for much of Brazil. That was a, a combination of their traditional spiritualism and this newly given Catholic faith. In fact, what happened essentially was the people of Brazil just assigned Catholic language to much of their traditional faith. And when I arrived in Brazil many of those in the country still practice this kind of combination or syncretized religion. And this was especially true in Porto Alegre, the third city that we went to in the south of the country. And as we came into the city, that the oppression on the city from this spiritualism was heavy. You could feel it and sense it. 
And our missionary took us to one place in particular. In the middle of the city, there was this park where this, this combination and this oppression was on clear display. When you walk into this park, which was a religious kind of park, there were large boulders scattered over the park. Some of them were empty, and some of them had the faces or the icons of many of the, the Catholic saints that uh, the, the Catholic Church engages with in their worship practice. And what was stunning was that there were offerings before all the rocks, believing that either there was a saint or a spirit attached to this rock that the people worshiping needed to appease in order to get more blessing into their life. And one expression in particular stuck out to me because there was this rock with no painting on it, just an, an inanimate rock that had offerings of baby paraphernalia in front of it. Because there was someone who believed there was a spirit attached to this rock that could have some say in whether or not they were going to be blessed with a baby. Tragic. But here's the sense that I got from observing these people worship and engaging with our missionaries there on the ground. The people wanted to make sure that all their spiritual bases were covered. They didn't want to risk missing any spirit or force in their worship in order to get as much blessing in their life as possible. Their thinking kind of went like this. I'm going to try to appease God through any means necessary and through many, as many avenues as possible, any spirit I think is there, any access point in order to sit under the blessing of God and avoid the curses of God. Now, some of this was clearly cultural because of what happened in the history of Brazil, but all, some of it's also natural because this is what we do as human beings, when left up to our own wisdom and our own devices to explain all that we observe taking place upon the earth. You see, our missionaries, they asked us to join them in prayer and join them in partnering to, to help the people of Brazil understand all that they had access to in Christ. That, that they would see what we have seen. And our study in the book of Colossians that Christ is enough. That there is only one mediator between God and man whose name is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. Jesus is the only way to God. And Jesus is the only way to please God. And our missionaries desire that these people would be released from the faulty wisdom of human tradition and, and man-made religion. And they would be captivated rather by Jesus. And as I read our passage for this week, Colossians 2 verses 8 to 15, that story and that experience kept coming back to my mind. Because... It reveals the issue in humanity when left to our own strength. All of us are seeking to make sense of this reality that we are experiencing. We recognize that we are both physical and spiritual people. And we live in a physical and spiritual existence. And somehow they are related. We're not just physical. We're not just spiritual. Somehow they have to go together. And we're observing things. We don't know how to make sense of all of it. And we don't know how to appease the, the God that we believe is over it. 
We, we just throw mud at the wall and hope that it sticks. That somehow we'll figure it out on our own. But here's the beauty of the gospel, friends. Inside of Christ, what does not make sense suddenly makes sense. With God-given wisdom, we can see how everything is created in, by, and for, and through Christ. And he holds all things together. This morning, we're going to see how the gospel... The truth of the gospel, the reality of Christ, can rescue us from this kind of aimless and hopeless worship that I saw in my time in Brazil and that I think Paul is addressing as he seeks to protect the Colossian church against the false teaching that's coming their way. I hope that in our time together today in the word that that we'll be able to help see how the gospel moves us from uncertainty to certainty in terms of where our worship is directed. I want us to be overwhelmed this morning by the singularity and the sufficiency of Christ. To see that he is the only path to God and he is the only power we need for God. Because here's what the enemy wants us to believe. That Christ is not enough. That you need more. That you need to be exposed to more. That you need to do more. Because if you don't, you're going to miss out on some of the blessing of God. But in reality, all he's doing is distracting us from everything we already have in Christ. The truth of the gospel will be our defense. So here's our main point for this morning. From our section in Colossians. Knowing and delighting in the gospel is what prepares us to withstand false teaching, deceptive teaching. Knowing and delighting in the gospel helps us be captivated by the right thing, or in this case, the right person, Jesus Christ. That's why we need to speak it over and over again. So I need to hear it over and over again, not just for our encouragement, which we do, but also for our protection. To be grounded in the faith so that we know where our hope lies. Let's look together at the Word of God, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. Here's what the Word of God says See to it, church. That no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all, rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in 
him. Now, friends, there is some wonderful, glorious gospel truth in this passage. So much for us to consider and delight in as we think about all that God has done for us in Jesus. But I also want you to know that there's purpose to this gospel language. There's purpose for for Paul once again appealing to the work of Christ for the Colossian church. Notice how this section begins. Because that unveils the purpose for us. Verse 8 gives a command. You see that? Paul says, see to it. You, church, you have a responsibility to be on guard, to be ready when false teaching comes. See to it that no one captures you. That you're not taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to, to human tradition. Now, that command reveals the tension that we've been walking in the book of Colossians that Pastor Stephen referenced last week. We are able to be obedient because of the empowerment of Christ. But we do have the empowerment of Christ and we are called to be obedient. So we are called to walk within the power that God has given us. So it's Christ working within us, but it should show up in our life. So that we are faithful to the faith, seeing to it that no one captures us when the enemy attacks because he will. And there are false teachers coming into the church offering human wisdom and deceptive teaching rooted in tradition, rooted in the way that we on our own seek to try to make sense of the world. As I said earlier today, some of what I saw in in Brazil was natural. For the history of the world, we as human beings have tried to make sense of this spiritual, physical reality, and we've not really done a good job of it before God's revelation to us in Jesus. Here's what would typically happen in in ancient times or or the history of humanity until Christ. We'd notice a power in the world, some evidence of God in the world. But because we didn't have a new heart, because we didn't have new eyes, we could not see God for all that he was. And so we tried to make sense of it in our own, thinking, okay, there's a power here in water. Either I worship water or I got to worship some being or God that I'm going to create in my own mind who must be in control of water. Or I see power and need in fire. And so there must be either a power in it that I need to worship or a God who's over it or a spirit that's over it. that I got to worship it and I need fire. So let me make sure I appease that spirit so I can have the fire for warmth. And, And we just begin to notice all of these powers, all of these evidences of God in creation. Instead of worshiping God, we begin to worship these evidences in and of themselves. And so you have in Greek and Roman mythology, pantheons of gods. Hundreds of gods trying to account for all the possible forces that exist to bring as much blessing into our life and release as much curse out of our life. To the point where, even in Athens, as Paul approaches Athens in Acts 17 verse 23, he notices an altar that was made to an unknown god. Because there's probably another God we haven't even thought of. So let's appease him too. Now some of that kind of mentality, some of that human wisdom is creeping its way into Colossae. And there are teachers who are echoing the human wisdom and tradition that 
human beings have been practicing since the beginning of time. And they're asking the question, what if you missed something? What if, what if there's some other way outside of Christ to get to God, some other being that has control in your life for blessing and curse that you also need to appease And if you don't do it, then you won't get all the blessing that God has for you. What if there's some other way to God or some other power below God that you need to account for in order to have the full blessing that God desires for you? And in so doing, these false teachers reveal a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. A a fundamental misunderstanding of the person and work of Christ. I want you to hear me, church family, this morning. There is no other path to God outside of Christ. And there is no other power that is greater than Christ, that deserves worship that is solely due him. These are central components of the gospel. These are cornerstones of the Christian faith that we must hold to in order to be prepared when false teaching comes our Way. Now let's consider how these two gospel truths that, that Paul appeals to can help us see to it that we are not held captive, captured by what we used to be captured by. There is no path to God outside of Christ. There is no power greater than Christ that deserves our worship and attention. Firstly, no path to God outside of Christ. Church family, there is no way to know God. There is no way to please God outside of Jesus. Look at verse 9. Let's read that again. In him, this is Jesus referencing the end of verse 8, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's a big statement. Think about that. In Jesus, the whole fullness that what your Bible something like that? It's, it's redundant, right? The whole, the fullness. But it's just Paul saying all of it. The whole fullness of deity, all of God dwells bodily in Christ. Think about that. What used to be reserved for a building is now in a body. Do you remember the Old Testament? Where did God meet his people? In the temple. You had to go to a building to experience God. And even then it was limited. You couldn't see all of them. There was a veil. But now what was veiled has shown up in a face. And the person of Jesus, not a building, a body, not a place, but a person. God's being has come and dwelt in Jesus. As we look at Christ, we have beheld the glory of the Father full of grace and truth, what John says in the beginning of his gospel, Jesus Christ is our divine meeting place. He is our access point to God. As I said last week, Thomas Torrance, Scottish theologian, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. The only way we know God is in Christ. The only way we get to God is in Christ. He is where we go to meet and know God. And listen to this, when you come to him, when you give your life to Jesus in repentance and belief, you are filled. The one who is filled now fills you. The one who has fullness 
pours that fullness into us, giving us everything we need of God. You have full access to God in Jesus. There's nothing held back, and you are filled with him. And that's good news because he's what you need. He's everything that you need. Listen, there is nothing lacking of your experience of God in Christ because there is no other path to God outside of Christ. And this is an important declaration. Let's remember why. Because remember, Paul's counteracting the false teaching. That's the reason why he's writing this here. Because you need to remember this so that you can see to it that you're not held captive by this philosophy. Again, the false teachers were saying that Christ is not enough. And they were offering in exchange some spiritualism and some traditionalism. Because spiritualism affects or calls into question the singularity of Christ. And traditionalism calls into question the sufficiency of Christ. Is Christ the only way? Spiritualism says, well, there's, there's multiple ways, more ways. Is what he did enough? Traditionalism, works-based kind of theology, suggests that you've got to add to that work. So here's what they're asking. And we see this kind of developed in, in the text further down that we'll deal with more last week. But let me reference it, or next week, let me reference it for clarification here. Spiritualism. Don't you want to be sure that there aren't other paths? Don't you want to be sure there aren't other beings you need to worship that then get us to God in the same way that Jesus does. So for instance, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of what? Angels. Going on in detail about vision. So don't you want to be sure that God created angels, that these angels don't have some role in, in this getting to God, and maybe you need to worship them to get other access points to God. Maybe they can give you some blessing or knowledge of God through visions. Don't you think that you want to make sure that the angels aren't worthy of worship as well? Don't you want to have all your bases covered? Traditionalism. Don't you want to make, you, you you make sure that you've done enough to please God? So, Verse 21, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch certain things. But here's what Paul says. These are according to human precepts and teaching. They have indeed, listen to this, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, he asked back in verse 20, if with Christ you died... Same terminology, to the elemental spirits of this world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? No, friends. There's no other way to God but Christ. There's no other work needed for you to get to God but that which is done in Christ. He is the path. He himself says, I'm the gate. I'm the door. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, go in and find green pasture. The grass is not greener on the other side, friends. Green grass is only found in Christ. Not nature, not angels, not works. Only in Jesus. You cannot experience God. You cannot meet with him outside, around, apart from Christ. Only in Christ. 
And then secondly, he says, not only should we have to believe that Christ is the only path, we have to believe that there is no power greater than Christ. Look at verses 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses, is that familiar to anyone? A lot like Ephesians 2 right here, right? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, what's Paul doing here in this section? Well, some of the teaching may have suggested that the reason we need to be concerned about other spirits or other beings is that we owe them. That they have some sort of control over blessing and curse underneath God and apart from Christ. And maybe you need to be aware of other powers because they have the potential to do harm or to, to steal blessing or to bring curse into your life. And in so doing, they're kind of elevating them into an equal status with Jesus. Are these other powers worthy of our worship? Are these other powers worthy of our attention? And, and Paul makes two statements to reveal the greatness and the singularity, the sufficiency of the power of Christ. Your debt has been paid. And secondly, your freedom has been secured. So let me just remind you about the power that is, that is greater in Christ that you need to remember to reject this false narrative that there are other gods being spirits that deserve your attention, that can have an effect on you outside or apart from or around the authority of Christ. Firstly, your debt has been paid. You don't owe anybody anything anymore. Your debt has been paid in Christ. Now, there was a list of your sin. There was an amount that you owed. There was a heavy debt that had to be paid to God because he was the offended party. He's the one that we offended with our sin. He was our creator that we rebelled against. Here's the bad news. No matter how hard you tried, you would not in your own strength be able to cancel that debt. Anybody ever felt like that before? It feels good to pay off debt, doesn't it? Uh, last year, we got to pay off my wife's car. Man, what a good thing that was when we, paid, we got that final payment in. Like it was a weight lifted. And it was good because there was a, a term limit. There was a time we knew that if we kept paying at some point, the debt would be ended. And it was so great when that, that, that weight was off our shoulders until I want to go buy another car. <laughs> but that weight, friends, multiplied by a gajillion. And that's the weight of our sin. I don't care how many loans you take, how many refinances, what interest rate you have. There's no way on your own that you can pay it. But here's the good news of the gospel. That bill was nailed to the cross. And it has been covered by Jesus. His work alone. You don't owe anybody anything else. No being, no power, nothing. It is all cleared by the work of Jesus. Your debt has been paid. Don't be sitting in fear. It's been paid. And even if there was another being that you had a debt to, he's not greater than Jesus. 
Your freedom has been secured. Listen to the end. This is so good. Verse 15. Because Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame. The language here is that he stripped them down naked and made them walk through the whole of creation to see that who they thought they were, they were not. They thought they were big boys. They thought they had a role to play. But Jesus, he showed up and he showed out. Nope, you're not bigger than me. You are underneath me. Now, hear me. There are powers and principalities. We are at war. There is a spiritual reality that we're going to be in conflict with as long as the kingdom of, of God is coming against the kingdom of darkness. But there is no power that comes against you that is greater than he that is within you. You got to hold to that. And there will come a day when the authority of Christ will be on full display and every power and every person that comes against the people of God will be dealt with by a holy, just, and good God. Don't worry about that. You are secure in Christ. And these teachers, these false teachers, they're asking you to step back into bondage by causing you to doubt your access to God in Christ and causing you to doubt the power of God that has been displayed in Christ. Friends, Jesus is enough. He's all, you're not missing out on God by only focusing on Christ. You're getting all of him. And more than you could have ever hoped for outside of Jesus. And there's no power greater than him to steal what is secured in Christ. And then Paul does something really interesting here. He offers baptism as a reminder. He appeals to their baptism as a physical reminder of this spiritual reality. That we have been filled and freed in Jesus. And honestly, I think it's the perfect reminder for this conversation as it shows this kind of crossover of the spiritual, physical reality. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul says in Christ, we have been circumcised. We have been set apart by the putting off of flesh. We are a part of the people of God by this work of Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, circumcision was the physical, visible evidence that you were a part of the Jewish people. Now we're not, we're not going to spend a lot of time detailing what that is for obvious reasons. But just know it was a removal of a piece of a man's flesh to set him apart physically, letting everyone around them know that he is a Jewish person, part of the people of God. And Paul says, God has done a greater work in Christ because what was physical then did not translate to a spiritual reality. But it was always God's desire. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, that you may live. Despite the physical reality, a spiritual transformation had to take place. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Because in his flesh, in giving his flesh, he's allowed us to set aside not only a piece of our flesh, but the entire thing. 
the entire captivity that we have to this world and sin and death, the kingdom of the flesh to be raised to walk in newness of life. And what says as a part is a new heart that could only be given in Jesus. And baptism is a picture of this. It's a, a spiritual mind or a stake in the ground that Christ has done this work in your heart and that you are not the same person that you were. So why are you trying to go back in the water and come back out dead? Zombies are gross. Stay alive in Christ. Baptism is a reminder for us, friends, that we haven't just put off a piece of flesh, but the whole thing. We don't live for this world. We're dead to it. We have a new way of life that is found only in Christ. So don't return to the emptiness of those pursuits. Don't return to the emptiness of human wisdom. Everything that is was created in Jesus and for Jesus. Everything's under his rule. In him, all things hold together. The gospel reminds us of this. There's no other path to God but in Christ. There's no greater power than that which we have seen in Christ. He is enough. He's worthy of our worship. And when we worship him, we get everything we need. Do you believe that? Do you join with the choir and the history of the church in declaring, we believe this? Because if you don't, you may get caught off guard and you may be captured by false teaching that will lead you not to God in greater ways, but further away from him. How can we respond this morning? Can I just offer us three responses to consider and pray through as we think about the word of God before us today and all that God is teaching us? Firstly, I wanna ask us church family to be captivated by the gospel. The best way to not be captured by false teaching is to be captured by true teaching. Be captivated by the gospel. And maybe some of you for the first time today, I want you to hear me. There is no path to God outside of Jesus. But come to Jesus and you get to God. There is no power that's greater than Christ. No other power can release you from the sin and the oppression of this world. No other power can cancel the debt that you owe outside of Jesus. But if you are in Christ, your debt has been paid. Your freedom is secure. Don't let anyone ever tell you different. Live in that truth, friends. It's gospel truth, God-given truth. Let's delight in it. Let's be overwhelmed by it, captivated by it for the glory of God. And then the second response is attached to that. Being captivated by the gospel, let's resist being recaptured by false teaching because we are not beyond it. Our enemy is a sly devil. And he will manipulate, slice up truth in order to cause doubt and confusion in our lives. So don't let him by being captured. But let me just speak about a couple of ways that he's doing that even now that I think are directly related to our text. Firstly... As we said, be careful about spiritualism. In our society today, it's considered a value to be open and inoffensive. 
to resist exclusivity, saying things like, Christ is the only way. How can you know for certain? Don't you want to be open to other paths, other religions, and, and see how they get us to God? Doesn't it seem like it's a nicer thing or a kinder thing or to, a, a way to be a better human by being open to many avenues to God? Have you heard something like that? Or, hey, that's fine for you, but it's not for me. This is my path that I'm going on. And while, according to our human wisdom, that may seem right, it is dangerously wrong. Dangerously wrong, friends. And let's not spend time bemoaning the fact that there's only one way. Let's give thanks to the Lord that there is a way. Because before Christ, there was no way for salvation. But now in Christ, hear me, all, A-L-L, it's available to everyone. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's give thanks to the Lord. And let's reject that lie that the exclusivity is unkind or ungracious. The fact that there is a way is evidence of the overflowing grace and mercy of God to us. And I, I want to speak specifically about a unique way that spiritualism is creeping back up here, not unique in the history of the world, but as it's tied to, to naturalism or nature worship. Because I think that's directly in our text here. This, this language of elemental spirits deals with the worship of nature or, or God's overseeing nature as it's attached to the spiritual reality. And I know that may seem far-fetched, but I think you may know, because of where we live, that there are people who are moving here because of their fascination with worship and uh, with, with nature. And over time, there have been expressions that have crept up of love for nature that leads to worship of nature. And so I want you to be prepared for that. That there may be language that you hear like this. Well, I encounter God best in nature. And so I want to go out to nature in order to, to see God and hear. That's where I, I'm able to know God and, and to worship God or whatever figment of God they come with. Even Christians sometimes adopt this language when they want to give an excuse for being in the deer stand on a Sunday morning. Just kidding. But seriously, right? Or in a boat. Or on the hiking trail. You know, anyway, sorry. We'll get that in a minute. Um, don't send me an email. I'm just speaking truth, okay? Uh, but... I connect with God better out there than I do among God's people. And that's why I'm out there. Now, I want you just to hear me say this morning, there's an element of that that is true. But it's, it's uniquely qualified. Because what can be known of God in creation is actually condemning to us until the work of Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. For sake of time, let me just summarize. He says this, that what can be known of God is evident to us because he's made his... His being, his reality, evidence to us, evident to us in all of creation. But here's what we do in our sinfulness and our humanness. We exchange the truth of God revealed in creation for a lie. And we begin to worship creation rather than the creator. We begin to worship the, the lake or something created by human hands. We begin to, to worship fire or earth because we in our sin can't get over ourselves to get to God apart from Christ. Now, in Christ, we can have a, a greater appreciation for who God is, but only because of Christ. So that I can go to Falls Lake later today, and I can say, man, isn't 
God's creation beautiful? Isn't it incredible what he's allowed man to do in cultivating this and just the evidence of his beauty on creation? God is a beautiful God, and I can know him not through the beauty of this lake, but through Christ. I can know him. Now, I can know more things about him in Christ as I look. But I get access to God through Christ. I can go to the ocean. I can see the power of the ocean. I can think, man, what a powerful ocean. That, that must be a powerful God that has created that ocean that I can know, not through the ocean itself, but through Christ. I can go to the mountains. I can think, oh, what the, look at the grandeur, the majesty, and the awe-inspiring nature of these mountains. We must have an, a majestic grand God to worship that I can know not through the mountains but in Christ otherwise in my own strength I'd worship the mountains I'd worship the ocean I'd worship the lake so let's challenge and press back on that mentality it's creeping into our area we can love and appreciate creation we can be caretakers we should be as stewards of the earth, but we should not worship it or think that it gets us to a place that only Christ can get us. And then the second thing that he deals with, not only spiritualism, but also traditionalism, and this is a little bit harder to identify, but closer to home, where we question the sufficiency of Christ by bringing our practice and our work back into the equation of what pleases God ultimately. We think we're not in right standing with God based on what we do or what we don't do. Rather than recognizing that our standing with God has nothing to do with us or our work, but the work of Jesus alone. Now, that work should show up in our lives. Don't get me wrong. We have a responsibility to do good works, but as a response to the favor that God has already given us in Jesus, not to earn more of it in terms of a saving status before God. And that's dangerous for us, friends, because religious practice can begin to become idolatrous to us, where we think an expression of gratitude and worship becomes the only means of gratitude and expression of worship to the point where if you don't do it the way I do it, you're not pleasing to God and your standing is threatened before God. That's Pharisaism. Let's not elevate our work anywhere close to the work of Christ. Let's respond to the work of Christ in our work, but trusting in his work alone in terms of our standing before a holy and righteous God. We'll We'll deal with that more next week. But I just want to plant that seed in our hearts as we think about responding today. And finally, be baptized. Be captivated by the gospel. Resist being recaptured by human traditions and be baptized. If you've never been baptized on the other side of repentance and belief as a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, be baptized. Because Paul says it's important for us. Jesus did it. He said it's important for us. It's a spiritual, physical marker in your life. A physical reflection of a spiritual reality that God will use for your good and the good of the whole church as you remember what God did for you and allowing you in Jesus to put off your whole flesh and be raised to walk in newness of life with his resurrection. That you've been filled and you've been freed by Christ to walk in him.
you've never responded in believer's baptism, I want to encourage you, do it. God commanded it. And more than that, it is for your good. Because it will be a reminder. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about my own baptism as a reminder of what God has done for us in Jesus. And that he has done it to me. All of these ways would be appropriate responses. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time thinking about how God's leading you to respond. Do you know Christ? Have you been captivated by the gospel? Are you free? Has your debt been paid? If not, would you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead today? Would you step into newness of life? Would you allow God in Jesus to circumcise your heart, to give you a new heart that's concerned with him, not yourself. It's life and not death. And would you ask if you are a follower of Jesus to, for the Lord to enamor your heart, recapture your heart this morning with those truths. That there is a path to God in Christ. He's made it known to you. And there's no power greater than Christ, a power that's at work within you. Would you celebrate today that your debt has been paid and that you are free? And would you ask the Spirit to help you in remembering those things, resist false teaching or anything that would compromise the gospel? That you would not be consumed with spiritualism, unhelpful openness, but rather help everyone understand the grace and gift of God that there is a way when there was no way. Would you resist traditionalism, works-based thinking of how we please God and rest in the work of Christ? Not that our works don't matter, but they don't save us. That's the work of Christ. That's how we ultimately please the Father, is in the Son. Maybe to be baptized. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you've never been baptized. Well, would you have the courage today to come forward and say, yes, I want to be baptized. Because I need this for my own spiritual care. I want to be obedient to Christ and for the good of the church. For them to be reminded in my baptism of what God has done for all of us in Jesus. Father, would you help us respond rightly? And we glorify you in this time, we pray in our obedience. In the name of Jesus, amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.